365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Riordan. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store. Hello and you're very welcome to episode 15 of Purple Psychology. I'm Marie O'Riordan. Thank you for tuning in in 31 countries across six continents around the world. Further details from purplepsychology.com. Our resident expert life guest again this time is Dr. Nisha O'Reilly. Hello, Nisha. Hello. You brought me along to the movies for this episode to start us off. Yes, I brought you to Girlhood. Um, I'm a massive fan of the director whose name I can't read because it's French. Um, so everybody will have to go away and look that up themselves. Um, I've been a huge fan of her films since I saw Water Lilies. Um, she uh, particularly specialises in looking at films about teenagers and those critical age gap. I really enjoy Girlhood, but you also brought me to see Boyhood. Yes, yeah, so we've seen Girlhood, Boyhood and Pajama Girls, which are three films I'm going to talk about. Girlhood was set in France, Boyhood was set in America and Pajama Girls was set in Ireland. Um, all three of the films are about teenagers. They're about different stories and different backgrounds. I suppose Girlhood and Pajama Girls were very similar because um, they're set around a gang of girls um, growing up in slightly economic disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, but there's a massive sense of community um, and looking out for each other that comes across really strongly. And I've actually seen this myself in parts of inner city Dublin. I have actually been in a chipper at 11 o'clock one night where um, a young teenage girl was hit by her father. And I have watched um, a bunch of girls not much older than 10 or 11, rally around a girl, find money for her, ring parents, find places for her to stay, bundle her into a taxi, look after her. And it's quite overwhelming to watch people all come together and sort a situation out as adults when they're that young. So there's a real flip side to the, the less perfect lives that they live. I've been a movie reviewer since I was a teenager for radio and sometimes television. And what I took from girlhood was that the problems with the main character actually stemmed from the fact that she wasn't permitted to go to the school that she wanted to go to in Paris. Yeah, she wasn't allowed to continue on in school. And actually, Pajama Girls was the same. The, the girls had been expelled from school and they had been expelled from a number of schools and there was no longer a place for them in the system. And so it was very obvious that when they fell out, they had to find somewhere else to belong. And that tended to be in a gang to look after them, which um, everybody's perception from the outside is that they're, you know, they're bad and they're up to no good and, you know, so on. Whereas actually... They're just living and they're getting on with it. What did you take from Boyhood, the American set movie? Boyhood was a little bit different. Um, though the boy's um, life wasn't perfect in the sense that his parents had separated, um, there was a real sense that I wrote an article about this at the time. There was a sense that this wonderful carefree child, and we see the same carefree children in uh, girlhood actually because we get to see the younger sisters. So we have these wonderful carefree children that suddenly hit 15 and the whole weight of the world is on top of them. And 
for boyhood, you know, he has this wonderful line film where he's just like, can, can someone just give me a break? And there is a sense of that. And I suppose I spend a lot of my time mediating with families uh, for teenagers because they get fed up with the rows, particularly around trivial things like homework. Um, and there's a sense of mediating for all of these difficulties and the pressure that people are under by the age of 15. And so all three of these films have shown what magically happens to children when they hit this age. This brings us on to your observations when it comes to the socioeconomic line or the socioeconomics, as you say, and to, I suppose, give people a greater insight into this. Sure, we have and do consult with billionaires, but also in other sides of our work. We love working with the underdogs who basically have nothing. And also in our philanthropic side, we have worked with people who have less than nothing. But your observations from an expression point of view are really interesting. Yes, I, I love employing people on my team with accents that are perceived to be the wrong accent, you know. And I love it when I send them into people's homes, um, you know, who think they're very sort of well-to-do and it sort of challenges them a bit, you know, because they, they listen to someone's voice and they make a lot of assumptions. I love when we send some of our team who are perceived by these people who are wealthy to come from the wrong side of the river and then they see and can praise what they do in the real world with their kids. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you don't really know someone and you don't know what they've achieved. And I love it when I'm interviewed by people who've really fought for their position and fought for what they're doing. Um, I can always tell when a journalist interviews me by their accent how they've come about to be there. And why they've contacted you, another underdog. Yes, I think there is a sense of that. And I, I think, it's, I think it's, I, it's one of those great things that's fascinating for me because we perceive them people come from certain backgrounds and you know they've gone to certain schools that they're automatically going to do very well. And we perceive when people have another accent and they're from a different sort of social background that, you know, that they're not going to do well. But one of the great contradictions for me is that when I look at young teenagers from from backgrounds that are less posh, right? And like I had a school which attracted people from a sort of a hundred mile radius. So I had people who are perceived to be very countryfied. I had people who were perceived- Or like me, a culture. Yeah, so there, there was, there was the, the, the countryfied people, there was the very well-to-do areas, and there was the very socially challenged areas, and there was a massive ethnic group mix as well and I used to love putting people from different schools in the same classroom together in the same mix I used to love it we had 10 students I had 10 places to 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 mess with people's heads and put all these different dynamics into a room and balance them what I love to see you know being in the environment and being in your custom-built school was there was a huge amount of people who chose to make a better life for themselves in Ireland from Africa and these kids were streets ahead of the Irish school system because they learned so much faster, accelerated learning over there. Yes, and they're also brilliant. They're brilliant linguists. Um, they're much better at Irish than Irish students are, which is very ironic. Um, so, so what I used to notice was that people from lower backgrounds had much more physicality expression. They were much louder. They gave much more of themselves. Um, they tended to use a lot more slang and wit to express things that they were uncomfortable with, but there was a, there was a real fun side to bringing things out with them. Um, and, you know, their facial expressions were more, okay? So these are the people we're perceiving that are not going to get on. But then on the other hand, the sort of the private school students... That well, are... you are a private school kid and I'm a public school kid. <laughs> well, yeah, so we do, have, we do have that going on for us. But 
in private schools, there's this thing that I call the private school shuffle, right? And I've pointed this out to you now. So what it is, is that you don't want to be noticed and you don't want your shoes to click on the floors. So you don't actually lift your feet, you shuffle along so that you make less noise. So you don't want to stand out. Your physicality is more reserved. You have less facial expression. They tend to be quieter. They tend to be more reserved in putting their opinions forward. You, you'll probably know their opinions because they flagged you off. Um, so you'll have a sense of what's going on for them. And yet, these are the people that we per will perceive to be the managers and the high-level employees. I'm a journalist, I'm not political, I've never been part of a political party. So you, as an observational scientist looking at the referendum, what did you see or observe? Yes, you, you won't have been living under a rock to have not noticed that there's been something fairly dramatic happening. Um, I listened to a lot of the radio interviews by politicians afterwards, and... One of the things that people are really struggling to grapple with is that a lot of very young people went out and voted in this election um, and they suddenly got really enthused about a topic. And the politicians are asking, you know, you know, how do we get them more interested in politics and how would you get them to continue? But what people have to realise is that people haven't voted for a political party. They haven't even actually gone out and voted on the topic that's not what, what's actually been at stake. They've gone out and they've voted on an experience. There has been an experience in their family or an experience with their friends or an experience growing up in the country. And that has what has drawn so many people out to vote. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's been completely off topic, which is, um, which is a truly fascinating situation to be in. Um, so on one hand, they've gone out and really given a voice to that, while simultaneously voting out saying that they don't want to be um, president um, at a young age. So it's, it's been, it's been a, a truly sort of contradicting experience. Speaking of contradictions, we were travelling recently, it was a lot of driving, we stopped to get fuel and also popped into an international fast food chain outlet, if you want to say that. What we noticed young people doing to another young person with a disability was frightening and does not reflect what we saw at the weekend. Yeah, this is, this is going to be really interesting going forward because this has kind of opened up the whole equality area. And I, my school was an ability company. I was given ability company status. So I'm very interested in the whole area of disabilities. Um, and what was quite ironic was that I went for it in terms of the students we represented more than the staff because I couldn't think how to fill out the form because I forgot that half of the staff I employed actually had disabilities. And that's the place you want to get to. And that's the place that this country has got to at the weekend in, in how they look at people. But they haven't made a quantum jump in other ways. So when we went into this fast food place, bearing in mind that the people who've gone out and voted the weekend are as young as 18, and there's been a massive amount of people of 18 who've registered to vote for the first time ever, and they've been massively excited about that. The people that I saw, the students I saw, were only about three years younger than that. But when they went in and they picked a table, the person who was a kind of leader of the group picked to sit at the only high tables in the whole restaurant. Now, it was half empty. They could have picked anywhere to sit, but they chose to sit at a table four foot higher than the other tables so that when the rest of the people came along and joined them, um, they all sat and joined that person. And the one person in the wheelchair was left sitting at a table on his own um, a considerable distance away from the group, all from the same school, in the same school uniform of the same age, and he was physically four foot lower than his peers. Says it all. 
It does say it all, but it's but it is truly fascinating, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how this experience effect is carried forward, and how we whether young people are going to sit back and actually look at the experience of the other people in their lives that are subtly different, and whether they're going to carry this forward, and that's the big key that the politicians need to need to think about if they want to get people really interested. It's an experience. It's something that you've gone through and that's touched you. That's why you have an opinion on it. And just to go back on one point, because they're not different. They're perceived as being different, but we're all the same. Well, we're all different. Conversations for further podcasts. Episode 15 of Purple Psychology. I'm Maria O'Reilly. Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, thanks for being here. Thank you. One quote that I came up with a while ago, we're all different, some of us just stick out more than others. Oh, that's interesting. Further details from purplepsychology.com. Thanks for listening in 31 countries and growing. 365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Reardon. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store.